<laughs> Guys, welcome to CEO Secrets. If you're listening to this on YouTube or maybe you're listening to it on iTunes or Spotify, uh, some streaming, whatever, um, be sure to check out our private Facebook group. You can watch these live. Um, I'm super excited today. I've got Jeff Cohn on the podcast. Jeff has built uh, the number one brokerage um, or team uh, with Berkshire Hathaway out of Omaha, Nebraska, in Warren Buffett's backyard, and um, has then uh, has since gone on to uh, build a pretty impressive investment side of his business. He also has a um, a, a coaching side of his company where he help he helps um, agents and and real estate team owners and brokerage owners uh, uh, called Elite Real Estate Systems. Jeff, welcome to CEO Secrets. Hey, man. Super jacked to be here. Thank you again for this opportunity, Chris. We've been friends for quite a long time, and I know we run very similar businesses, and I'm yeah. excited to be discussing the topics that we're going to discuss today. Yeah, so I'm, I met you for the very first time. I God, what was that, like five, six years ago? We were just ran, – I randomly went to a, a dinner with you and uh, Tim Heil, and that's where we met the first time, I think, right? Yep, that was it. And you were, and so at that point, like you had a, you know, like pretty successful team. I think you were doing a couple hundred transactions, not to the point you are today. But when I met you back then, I remember you telling me you were basically traveling the whole country, just getting in front of as many people as you could that had really successful businesses to learn from them, right? That's exactly right. How many people did you get in front of back then? I mean, so, you know, you've heard the adage, the difference between you and me are the people you meet, the books that you read and the podcasts that you listen to. We'll give us yeah. a little plug there. And so, you know, I went through this process of reading hundreds of books, um, both starting in college. Like I did not read much until college. I did not treat school seriously until college. And when I got into, uh, I went to University of Nebraska, Omaha, I went to Brigham Young University and a few other schools. And I was like, I need to get a great education so I can go get an amazing job and work an eight to five and get the golden handcuffs. So I graduated school when I was 23. And what I learned through college was that I, I was able to change the person that I was through the books that I was choosing to read. And then of course, webinars and um, podcasts kind of started popping up in the mid 2000s. And I started listening to those. And so I have this evolution of every time I wanted to do something and be the best version of myself, I just found someone that I felt did it better that I wanted to do it like and tried to emulate them. So to answer your specific question, I've been over 100 brick and mortar team offices across the United States. Um, those are always mastermind trips. When I used to take those back in 2010, 2011, it was when I was trying to get information to um, help deploy my real estate team. Um, I got licensed in 06 and I sold as an individual agent for five years with a full-time admin and a full-time buyer's agent um, doing like 70, 80 deals a year. And it wasn't until I launched the team that I actually was able to create leverage and was able to exit the day-to-day -day business and run the CEO model within three years. So we launched the team in 2011. I, did, I stopped selling 36 months later in 2014 and I continued to educate myself. But instead of physically going and visiting, like I went and visited Tim five years ago and tons of other amazing people, um, I decided to start my own podcast. And I was on other podcasts just like this one. And then I started my own and I found that you could gain a lot of great information just in a 30 minute conversation with a high level thinker. And then the people that were the most influential for me, I just got them on my speed dial, just like Chris and I all the time. Like, well, I'll just see some random call from Chris or he'll see some random from me and pick it up. And then we go for like two hours and we can't yep. get off the phone, but it's awesome to have that network of people. And had I not put myself out there, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And so I will give all the credit to all of my success 
to, you know, all these very influential um, innovators in the industry across all the different business ventures that I'm in. I don't have a lot of my own ideas. I took a lot of successful ideas that were already working in other areas and just chose to apply those in my market. Man, what's, what's fascinating about that is I talk a lot about this quote I heard on Shark Tank by Damon John. And this was back in 2010, 2011, when Shark Tank was really taken off. And Damon John said, pioneers get slaughtered and settlers prosper. Mm. And, and when, when I heard that, I was kind of struggling, like, you know, in my first year, I would, you know, some people would say it was successful. I think I sold 30, 40 houses or whatever. And, um, but I was really frustrated with my results and I felt like I was trying to be really innovative and, and creative in building my business and thought, I don't know, like I had this, you know, imagination that I could like create the next Facebook of real estate. <laughs> and then I, and then I heard Damon John say that and I'm like, well, I remember what happened to my space. So I better go find some people smarter than me. Um, so anyways, I, I can't, I couldn't agree with you more just, you know, connecting with other, you know, like-minded people that are trying to, you know, go after the same target is, you know, how you get to extract the collective genius of everyone to grow faster. So, um, so, uh, you know, I think, I think a lot of, you know, people, um, if people are watching this on um, Facebook right now, uh, feel free to comment in the comment section with any questions you might have about Jeff. Um, I guess one little um, nugget I'll, I'll throw out there is you guys can probably uh, tune in to Jeff's podcast, learn all about Jeff, how he built his business. Um, he's got some, some pretty amazing things he does, workshops, things like that. But the, the, today, the thing I want to extract out of him, which I think is amazing, is um, everything you're doing on the investment side. And the reason I want to um, uh, talk about that is because, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people watching this right now that aren't positioned yet to pull this off, perhaps. And like, man, I always love having some North Star, especially for high D driver personalities, some North Star for them to go <laughs> chase. So they're, in, so they're inspired, you know, so they'll get over whatever limiting beliefs it is that's preventing them from building a really big business so they can go to the next, you know, stage of sure. you know, building an investment arm. So um, specific to the investment side, how many, um, how many properties did you guys buy last year, Jeff? Um, we ended up closing on about 80 doors last year. And then the, what did you do the previous year? Uh, previous year was about half of that, maybe 40. And the previous year was about 20 and then about 10. Yeah. So we kind of have tried our, our, we've, our hockey stick growth has been about, you know, doubling every year. But the real question is not how many did we acquire? It's how many did we hold? Cause true. What I call legacy wealth comes from the real estate you own, not the real estate you sell. When you sell an asset, you have to pay tax on it. Uncle Sam takes their cut. Whereas if you hold that asset and refinance it, the money you get off that Burr strategy, which we'll talk about in a minute, and you refi it out, um, that is non-taxable. And you can then just roll that into whatever you want, roll it into a Raptor pickup truck or another investment property. Well, the, the reason I ask about the trajectory is because, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, in four years to go from buying 10, 20, 40, 100, or 80, 100 in yeah. like four years, that's a lot of properties, uh, you know, each year you're buying. And I'm sure yeah. a lot of people are, are watching this and they're wondering like, how do you get the financing? How do you find the properties? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, probably the number one question people are going to ask is like, how, um, how do you get the financing to buy these properties? So yeah. 
been, you know, what did you do in the early days? And then what, what were things you learned along the way to help you get yeah. to the point where you could buy the number you're buying now? I'm going to give you a long answer. So um, you might have heard of the book 127 Hours. It's a story about Aaron Ralston. Uh, it was turned into a movie as well. And this, this guy is, you know, hiking up in the Moab Desert and falls uh, and a boulder pins his arm against a, a wall, a cliff wall. Saw the movie. Saw the movie. There you go. So he's stuck there for like two or three, two or, or no, four or five days, I want to say. And in the end, he's like pulls out his pocket knife and it's like a rusty Swiss army knife and he cuts his arm off from the elbow up. And the reason I bring up that story is the thing that's funny is most people saw the movie but didn't read the book. And when you watch the movie, you think, how did somebody ever endure that? Like that's so impressive that this person could cut their arm off. He then hiked several miles before someone found him and then a helicopter came and picked him up. But what you learn in the book is all of the other experiences that he had gone through that prepared him for that day where he had to endure five days of no food or water and cut his arm off. And so you asking me, can't even imagine, dude, he'd been chased by bears. He had been in avalanches. He had experienced so many things in the outdoors that to the average Joe, like myself, who, who thinks, oh my gosh, like cut your arm off? Are you freaking <laughs> Dude, I can't cut my hangnail off, <laughs> let alone my arm off. But that's not what I've been preparing for, right? I'm not in the game of let me get ready to chop my freaking arm off. <laughs> so the reason I bring it up you, is because- You mean you don't wake up and just want to chop your arm off? <laughs> not something on my mind, no. I try not to think about that. So I say that though, because you bring this up and everyone's watching and they're like, whoa, what the heck in four years? But where I came from is why I was able to do that. And so I've become a master at creating leverage in my business. So I launched my real estate team in 2011. And I shared with you in the beginning of this, uh, three years later, I was able to exit the full-time role of having a job where I was servicing buyers and sellers. And my job became providing oversight and working in more of the visionary slash CEO role of our residential real estate team, which allowed me to start other ancillary businesses. So I started a call center in the Philippines, which now has over a hundred callers. I started a title company in my own local marketplace, an insurance company in my own market, local marketplace, which I'm still running today. As you mentioned, we launched Elite Real Estate Systems Coaching four years ago, which we're still running today. There's actually a workshop right now um, our investor workshops. So if you want more information, hey, just, we're going to talk hey, about just, today. Guys, hey, y'all, just for, just for y'all for listening to this, I call up Jeff. I'm like, hey, Jeff, are you going to get on this or what? This is the second time to try to schedule it. He's like, yeah, hang on. I'm right in the middle of a workshop. I'm going to jump on the computer right now. <laughs> yeah, dude, I don't know what happened. I think, I think Chris sent the invite to jeffcone at gmail.com. Um, and my email's different than that. And I, I joked that the stinking Jeff Cone guy not forwarding me my emails. I don't know what his problem is. <laughs> but yeah, dude, we've got a workshop right now. But if you want more information about the workshops, if you like the content I talk about today, it's ersinvestorworkshop.com. Uh, we're hosting another one in October. We'd love to have you come out. It's a thousand bucks. Um, so it's not too expensive. And you get all of our intellectual property. You get added to our private Facebook page, the whole nine yards. Okay. So we build all these ancillary businesses. So my best friend is making around 100 grand a year working at a Canadra Foods in Omaha. And I'm making almost 10 times that building out my real estate empire. And it, it's a problem. Like we go on these trips and I want to go on $10,000 trips. He wants to go on $1,000 trips. And he's like, Jeff, a, a $10,000 trip to me is like a $100,000 trip to you. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just help you make a million dollars or let's both go make 10 million or whatever it needs to be. So we dabbled in investing in 2013, 2014. We bought two or three flips and then five or six flips. And then we had like seven deals pending, which was going to generate about 140,000 in revenue. And these are just flips. And I was like, Clint, you're there, dude, quit your job. And it was at a really hard time where a lot of people were getting let go from the company he worked for. And he went in and put it in his two day, two weeks notice and 
he bounced and the rest is history. He then became obsessive in all the things I was obsessive with when I built out the team. So he joined a seven figure flipper mastermind. I think it's Justin Kobe. We paid $25,000 a year to be part of this mastermind that met every quarter. We're now in the multipliers mastermind that meets in Tulum, Mexico once a year. It's like 10,000 to be in. It's a small group, about 50 guys. Collective Genius is another one we haven't joined, but we mastermind with a lot of people from Collective Genius. And what we've done is literally copy and pasted the roadmap that helped my real estate team go from 70 to 700 deals in six years, making us the number one team at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services in the world. We've copy and pasted that roadmap in the investment world, and we're getting probably 5x the results. And so it's been fascinating to me. And the thing I'm so jacked about, and you can see the passion in my voice and in my face, I'm jacked because it's actually building real wealth, sustainable wealth. I've made millions of dollars, but I don't have a lot to show for it. Whereas when you buy and hold real estate where the equity grows and someone pays off your debt, to me, it's a no brainer. And we all know that, but we're just not doing that. And I think we're not doing that because we're busy with our jobs and we don't have the time to go and do this other thing. And that's where you have to create leverage. So Clint, my best friend and I are 50-50 partners. We're going to buy over 100 houses this year. We're going to add 40 to our portfolio of now 70 total doors that we have valued at almost $10 million. We have a couple million dollars in equity that we've built up in like two years. And the beauty of all of it is it's non-taxable if you're holding the real estate. So, so, so only- Jeff, I think you've inspired everybody to go build a, uh, a portfolio of properties. Let me, go, let, me, uh, let me go back to the original question. So the point of the story, sawing off your arm, like you've gone down a long road to learn what you've learned today about building teams, building businesses, creating leverage. Um, but back to the money side, what's like, how did you guys start off buying properties? What did you do kind of like so, mid-stage? Mid- yeah. Clint, Clint was in Ranch Cucamonga, California with Frito-Lay and they transferred him to Omaha. And this is like 2012, 2013. And his house, he thought he was going to go into foreclosure. He, he tried short selling it and couldn't get it sold. A year later, it was up in value $100,000 and he sold it for an $80,000 profit. And I said, dude, this is a great time. Don't go put that in the market. Let's go buy some properties. And I had a ton of disposable income. I was investing in all sorts of different things. And I said, if you're the boots on the ground, you'll go look at the deals and we can go on the MLS. We can go to short sale listing agents. You know, I'm in the real estate business, so I knew how to find the houses. I just didn't personally choose to make the time to go do it. So Clint became my boots on the ground nights and weekends. It was kind of his hobby. And that's how we got started. So he put in 80 grand. I put in 80 grand. And now today, flash forward, we have like $2 million in bank lines of credit, all personally guaranteed to me and Clint's wealth. Um, most of it tied to the rental property portfolio that we have. And every property we acquire, we acquire it with a business that we own called Dynamic Properties. So we close with that up with a bank line. And then if it's a flip, we just have to get out of it within like 90 days. But if it's a hold, we refi it within a couple of weeks once we know we're going to hold it. And then we put it into a long-term 20-year note on a three-year amortization. So I, so I totally get the uh, beginning and the end phase, but I want to help bridge the gap for people listening. <laughs> cause you just, you just like, I understand it cause we've had these conversations, <laughs> but I know it probably just went over a lot of people's heads. Okay. okay. So, in, so in the beginning, y'all, y'all each put in 80 K you had 160,000. Is that, did you use that 160 K to buy your first property with cash or did you get a mortgage or did you get a line of credit with that cash? What no, did you do our, on the very first like so, four, five, six, seven, yep. eight, nine, ten deals? Our our intention in the beginning, and I had really good financing. I had um I was making a lot of money. Um my PL was great. I already owned other properties. So we really had no challenges. I think that's probably a lot of the listeners' biggest challenges. Oh, where am I gonna come up with the money? But what we quickly discovered, I always thought finding the money would be the challenge. 
Finding the properties is the number one challenge of all investors that I network with. It's not finding money. Because if you find a property that's 20, 30, 50% below market, money will come to you. You go to the wealthiest person you know and say, you'll never believe this. I just put a house <laughs> under contract for 50% below market. Here's the comps. Here's the work I put in. If you'd be willing to front me $120,000, I'll give you a 15% return. That's hard money lending, 12 yeah, to 15% return. Or you go to a bank, and I have a local bank here, First State Bank, and we did this pretty early on, Chris, where they said to me, Jeff, if you can find a house at 15% below market, and that's based on our after repair value appraisal, a real appraisal that goes out, we'll fund the deal 100%, no money down. If you can find a 15% below, so it's the equity in the property is our down payment. The beauty was anything more than the 15%, they'd write us a check at closing. So we were doing the Burr strategy, which is buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat, we were doing that the day of closing essentially and pulling so, our equity out. Okay. So for Pete, I want to, I want to like take some nuggets of what you've said and then share with the audience what they should be doing. If, if they're in a position where they find a deal, but they don't have enough cash or they don't have, they, they couldn't even guarantee the deal. So um, if you get a deal legitimately well below market value, there's lots of people that do hard money lending. You'll pay a two or 3% loan origination fee and nine, 10, 11% interest, which sucks. But in the beginning, it's a way you can get started. Yeah. And then you do some deals, you make profit on those deals. You, you know, collectively, you know, keep saving up your cash reserves and then you can go and get what's called an asset based guidance line of credit, which is what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And you can take that, that cash and use it as a, a pledge against that asset guidance line of credit to buy houses for cash, close quick and have super low interest rates and low um, loan origination, right? So we're- What Chris here. said. Yeah. So here's the challenge. So you're gonna run into issues as you guys grow and scale. And I've seen this a lot with the teams that we coach and network with. Banks are only gonna loan up to X amount. That X amount's gonna be different based on their risk tolerance, your cash flow, all the businesses you own and um, the equity that you have in your rental property portfolio. I really like private money. I think the private money is the way to go, not hard money. The difference is hard money is someone who's really positioned to loan out money to, to someone that's high risk. Yeah, to your point, two to three points up front. And what that means, I never even knew what that meant until a couple of years ago. Two to three points is like, if they loan you 100,000, two points is 2%. So you'd pay 2,000 up front as like a closing fee. And then 10% at the end, when you pay that person back, you own 10% of however long you kept the money for. So if you bought 100, borrowed 100 grand, took you a year to flip the property, you're out 10 grand. It took you three months, you're out three grand. So net total, the person that loaned you that hard money made $5,000 in three months. I have no problem with that to let someone make 5,000 if that makes me 15,000. It's a three X return. And it's, you're gonna get a deal together rather than not getting a deal. So I see people always put their nose up. Oh, that's an expensive rate. It's like, okay, well then don't do it. Either don't do the deal or do it with the hard money. But when I talk private money, what we found is we've raised capitals. We've literally gone out to the people that we know have a net worth over a million dollars, qualified investors. And I've asked them to lunch and I've said, hey, me and my buddy are acquiring property. This is in the beginning when we were only buying 10 houses a year. I'm like, we're buying houses too fast that I can't fund them. Even though I have hundreds of thousands of dollars already tied up in these homes, we're buying at such a rate, finding these amazing deals. We need investors. And we were able to pick up a hundred thousand dollar loan here, $250,000 loan here. And they'd usually be for 12 months or for 24 months. So our intent was to pay back within 12 to 24 and we'd refi when we go to pay back. And so we were always planning that, you know, that debt was going to be due at some point. Let me, and usually uh, that's let at me an 8% rate. 
Yeah. Okay. So eight, you're you. So you like, you're getting all these people putting money into a fund. You give them eight percent. Do they give any get any kicker on the back end from a profit perspective? Everything's negotiable. And so one thing we learned was um, at, the, at the beginning we were like we were just telling everyone what our deal was, and then we started doing a lot more research, and we recognized that everyone has a different goal. And so we would ask other people what they wanted. We'd say, hey, what kind of a return do you want? Do you want money up front? Do you want points up front? Do you want points on the back? Do you want to own some of the equity? Do you want to do a syndication? There's just hundreds and hundreds of options. And to us, it just is the most simple just to have a rate of return. We pay, we typically pay quarterly. And in our experience, every person that's loaned money to us has never asked to get out. They always want to stay with us. So we pay them back after two years. Here's a check for 250000 And they hand us the check plus interest. And they hand us the check right back and say, keep on going, baby. Let me, let me ask them, have you taken that money and then used it as collateral to go and get an even larger asset guidance line of credit? You know um, use like the you, private money as the yeah, down to secure yep. even something bigger. I don't so know. Like, so, I mean, something, something I've, I've thought about is like you put that fund together, let's call it a million bucks, um, and you can use that yeah, as collateral. Buy a $5 million dollar multifamily, yeah. Right. No, yeah, exactly. I, I don't think we've done it yet. That's obviously on our radar as an option if we ever do come across something well, no, like that. No, 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 no. So, so, so hear, hear me out. So, like you take the million dollars from your private money, use that as collateral to go and get a $5 million asset line of, line, line of credit um, to then go and buy, you know, like a $10 million, $10 million with the properties at a 50% discount. I, I think maybe we're saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah I see what you're saying. Yeah, we haven't okay. done that yet. So, okay. hey, well, one, one thing I want to throw out there is, so for people um, watching this, um, would you tell them like they should probably hold off on the investment side and even flipping properties until they get to a certain point in their team um, size and revenue before they start trying to figure out the investment side? Hmm. Like, could the investment side be a distraction yeah, that's interesting. For people so, that are trying, like, if you're not, if you're selling yeah. 50, 7,500 houses, is it a distraction? If you're I think the number to- one question and the challenge I'd, I'd ask each person to really reflect on is what's your goal? If your goal is to make money and just have a job, you can do that by flipping houses or selling real estate and getting a commission. You can also do that by going and working an eight to five and being a fireman or a teacher or a lawyer or a dentist. If your job is to create generational wealth, you need your money working for you, just like Robert Kiyosaki would teach in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that's where you create passive income. That's how you create leverage in your world. So we all have things we do every day and how we spend our time. That's our job. And of course, we make dollars for that. Ones and zeros come to us. To me, true wealth is defined by what people choose to do with those ones and zeros. Where are they putting them? And for us in the real estate space, if you're already in residential real estate, you have a huge advantage over every other investor because you know what the property's worth, meaning you know how to buy it and your license and can disposition, meaning list the property for free. You can acquire the property and be given a 2.4% or 3% commission when you close. There's just so many synergistic relationships. You have relationships with title, insurance, mortgage, home inspection, home warranty, and you can take advantage of those relationships. The thing I've found is as I've gone out and researched this with investors across the country, a lot of them have never been in the residential real estate space. So they have an agent they work with. They have an agent who taps into the agent's network, but the investor doesn't know the real estate business, doesn't know the real estate game. So we do have a very unique competitive advantage, be it that our investment company is literally in my real estate team's office right now doing our workshop, teaching people how to invest. They've been able to use all of my agents as acquisition managers and disposition managers and marketing so, directors and everything. So my, so my advice to somebody watching this that is in the early stage of building a team, if their goal is to build a business that is like self-sustaining, that they'll be able to exit, they should probably not try to go and dabble into the real estate investment side. 
until they figured out how to build a self-sustaining business. And then once they've got leadership in place, then go and tackle the opportunity of building up a big revenue stream. That's, that's I love Chris's questions and I love the way I've been choosing to answer them. Chris is giving the very concise, analytical, correct response. I'm bored of communicating that way and this isn't my podcast. So I'm giving you guys the big picture, the big vision and bringing it and bringing down the house, baby. So I agree I with you. It, man. I, so here's what I would tell you. You're so you're, so you're an such agent. a smooth talker, Jeff. You're an agent doing like 10, 20, 30 deals a year. You're making 50 to $100,000. How much money should you set aside to invest in single family? I would propose all of your money should be set aside for investing in single. Um, if you're in a world where you want to just do it the traditional way where you're putting 25% down, you're buying a $100,000 house, you put $25,000 down, let that be your investment vehicle and pick up one property every year for the next 15 years. But I'm with Chris. If you're going to do it, do it right. So it's like with my real estate team, I'm not going to go generate $1,000 a month worth of leads and have three agents. I'm going to generate 2,000 leads a month. I'm going to spend $10,000 a month. I'm going to create marketing service partners. I'm going to have 30 agents that take the leads. Like I'm going to go big if I'm going to do it. So don't waste your time like dabbling in one or three because the work you'd have to put in to do three deals a year, you could just do a little bit more work and get 13 or 17 yeah. So uh, let's talk about finding, well, two, two things I want to talk about um, is one, finding deals. And then two, something fascinating about Omaha, Nebraska is you guys can find properties and rent them out at a rate of 1% uh, of the um, 1.25% is the average of our purchase price. So if a property is worth, if we buy a house for $100,000, our expectation is that it would rent for $1,250 a month. So 1. that's, 25. you know, for, um, for, you know, the, for the major markets across yeah, it doesn't the work US, in the major markets. doesn't, doesn't work. So well, don't tell people Omaha. He didn't say Omaha. He said Oklahoma, <laughs> Oklahoma. <laughs> so, okay. So that's, so would you say, okay, was that an important factor being Dude, able to huge. that, that, that one First, that's the number one rule. 1% of the value of what you buy it for um, per month is what it's worth. So if someone's like, am I overpaying in rent? All you ask yourself is, are you paying 1% of the value of the property? Is typically what rent should be. Do you think it'd be a bad idea? If, oh, well, I guess like if you're in a big market, you could just go like to a far out suburb, right? Like maybe an hour away where you know, I think there's more... deals in big markets. If I, let me talk to you about how we find our deals. All right. Well, I think that when you hear the strategies, it's going to be different than what a lot of people are doing. So we have 10 different mediums, let's call them to help find deals. We spend 20,000 a month right now in our deal acquisition. All of that's coming from the money we generate from our flips we don't have any ancillary, you know, marketing service partners like I would in my traditional real estate company who help pay for the leads because my mortgage companies and inspection and warranty pay for all of our internet leads for the mark for the residential side. The investment side, we've just grown, you know, using predictable revenue. We knew that if you spent one dollar, we'd get five. We typically see a five X return. And so we spend ten thousand a month right now on mailers. Mailers to me would be the first thing every person should do. Um, we have twenty thousand mailers that go out each month and we use a company. Are you um, REI Vault? Yep, REI Vault. Uh, uh, Gary Boomer Shine, and then they use a CRM called Podio. So by hiring them, they give you access to their CRM. They send out the mailers, and then they use what they call their call ninjas, who are actually employed by my call center to follow up with all of the mailer pieces that go out. Because when the mailers go out, people call the number and get a voicemail most often, and then they'll call back anyone that dialed that number and got that voicemail. So Jeff, I was sending out 
20,000 mailers per month. I used REI Vault and the callers. Mm-hmm. And over the course of 90 days, we got one deal. How many appointments did you go on? Um, so we actually took, what made it work was we, I mean, made made it a winning proposition was, well, not winning, but we didn't lose any money was we, um, we actually ended up taking six listings over those 90 days. Um, but the thing was, is like, you know, to one acquisition over 90 days, like the, the acquisition cost of that deal was, you know, super high. 70% of the leads are traditional leads, 70% of the people. So here's the way I would communicate it, Chris, and this is important for the listeners to understand. When we approach a transaction, we don't think of it every deal as this is going to be a rental or this is going to be a flip. There's six different scenarios that could play out. One is traditional listing. Two is pass. We're not interested. Three is wholesale, where you assign the contract and make around $10,000 in our market. Four is wholesale, where you close and put it on the market and do less than $1,000 of renovation. You just clean up the property, throw it on the MLS and let anybody go for it. That's on average, we make 20,000 on a wholesale. Um, Five is flipping the property. Flipping the property is where you go in, you spend at least $10,000, maybe 50,000, fixing it up, putting it on the market. For us to do a flip, we need to make 25,000. And then the last scenario, which is dear to my heart, which is what I want in every case, number six is hold. Every property is different. And so I wonder if we were deploying our strategy in Austin and surrounding areas, if there would have been more opportunities to acquire outside of traditional, if we were looking at that as a wholesale, a wholesale, a flip, et cetera. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I do all those things, right? We do okay. hotels um, where we just, we literally, you know, clean it up, spend 500 bucks, pop it in MLS. Um, we, you know, have deals we flip. Um, we have some buy and hold ones, yep. but man, the buy and hold ones are far, far and in between. I mean, yeah. our, it's I mean, the market too, man, that you're in. Like for everyone listening, if you're like not in a big city like Austin, don't listen to Chris because REI Vault will crush it. I've asked around with tons of people that are killing it with the mailer strategy at REI Vault. I think your struggle, so, Chris, is you're in a market like Scottsdale, Phoenix. You know, you have yeah, all this. There's super, there's super limited inventory. The average sales price is three twenty five, and those houses that are three hundred twenty five thousand, the the market rents on those are about seventeen to eighteen hundred dollars. Mm. Wow. Um. So it's just you know that's it is tough, what it is. Yeah, so yeah, what one one thing I thought about is what about going to like a really far outlying area? Like there yeah. are some pockets that are like yeah. an hour away. Yeah. Um. Where we we could probably deploy the um calling and mailing service and probably you know so we're going to do the same thing. So like we've got probably three cities in every direction of Omaha that are an hour away that we're not in right now. We don't really have a footprint there, but we're going to send our acquisition managers to those cities one day a week. So we'll set up appointments on a Friday in Des Moines, Iowa, which is an hour and 30 minutes from Omaha. We'll set up appointments in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, two and a half hours North of Omaha. And we'll just send our acquisition managers up one week, one day a week to do those appointments on your on your um from a property management perspective on the deals you hold will you hire someone there locally so i have someone right now local who will eventually partner with we've discussed a strategic partnership once we have over 100 doors with him he only charges us five percent so he saw all sorts of reasons he needed to partner with me because i have this large team and i could generate a lot of other business to him and his brokerage um he chose to give us a ridiculous deal typically for those listing you could expect to spend about 10% for property management and when you look at cash flow if your average deal cash flow is $300 a month which is where we are at that um 10% ends up eating up a third of your overall net cash flow so 33% of your net return on the monthly rent typically will go to property management that's pretty normal it's, I- 
Um, so would you recommend bringing somebody in house at a certain point for property management? Oh, once you're over a hundred doors, if you have a hundred doors in one market, yeah. I'm hearing a lot about virtual property management where people are running, a, they own property across the country and manage it all from one location. There's even third party companies now that do virtual property management, but I really like having boots on the ground that can go to the property, meet with the customer, run the credit check, check to yeah. see if the property is in good shape. Um, I think if you're going to go to these little outlying markets and hold property, you want to get to 100 and then hire somebody full-time to manage them. I think the goal should always be to get to 100 properties. So my plan is to expand into 30 markets over the next 10 years and partner with agents like you and deploy all of our strategies, source the deals from Omaha. And if we were to deploy that strategy in someone's marketplace, our minimum expectation would be 100 doors. Besides uh, direct mail, what do you think about bandit signs and sourcing deals yeah, in the so MLS? We, we do bandit signs. The strategy on that, we get in trouble in our market for doing it. So we just put them out on a Friday and pull them on a Sunday. My, my real estate team sign runner goes and does it for my investment company and gets paid a little bit extra to go do that. We put out a hundred signs a weekend. We also do door hangers. We do a thousand door hangers a week. The biggest thing is defining your avatar. Where is it that you want to buy? So you put the bandit signs in the areas where you want to buy. You put the door hangers in the areas you want to buy. You send the mailers in the areas you want to buy. Um, we also run radio ads. I think where our spend on radio right now is about $3,000 a month. And that's been working well. We do. What's your, what's your favorite radio station for finding distressed sellers? Mm, I don't know. Clint would have to speak to it. We only are on one. We have an ad of the second. And it's, a, it's an AM station talk radio. And, and then what's your, what would you say is your avatar for the type of person you're so going to our, put door hangers on? Yep. Our avatar is any property between 75 and 175,000 in 10 specific zip codes based on the top 10 zip codes we purchased in in the last 12 months. What do these houses look like for 75 to 125 grand? I mean, they're not bad, dude. They're all three to four bedrooms, uh, one to three baths, one to two car garage. There's a, we, they run the gambit. We've had 1920 all the way to 2007. I mean, it just depends, it, you know, we're fine pre 1978. I know that's a big conversation with what that's going to happen with all of that. Uh, but they're, they're not bad. Dude. I mean, it's not, everyone's like, Oh, Omaha must be nasty. Like our average sales price is 230,000 here. Um, is, is Warren Buffett involved in the real estate market in Omaha at all? He owns Berkshire Hathaway, which has 50% market share here. <laughs> that's how he's involved, if that's what yeah. you mean. But Warren I mean, is like, no real estate saying, holdings? I don't know. Warren said once uh, a couple of years ago that if he could buy a billion dollars worth of real estate, that's where he'd put his money. And it was funny because when he said it, I was going to go knock on his door and tell him I could help him find it. Because I literally had a process. I was like, dude, I'll help you deploy a billion dollars. That's 10,000 homes in I'm, I would essentially open 30 markets at an average of a hundred thousand dollar property. So I'm doing that, was, that. Like that's my big hairy audacious goal. I, I remember when he made that like public comment, right? The 2013, 2014, I think. Yep. He said, everything. Well, what's interesting, like, Chris is five years later, you see Zillow buying property at market value, pretty much yeah. close to it. I think that there's something that the financial industry um, services business knows that we don't. And I think that there's going to be insane inflation in the next five to 10 years. And I think, the homes today that are 300,000 are going to be worth like a million dollars in a shorter period of time than what we would have expected because the whole market's going to auto-correct and go the opposite direction. That's what I expect to happen. I think that's why Zillow's making that big play. So you're, so you're in terms of like forecasting the future, you believe uh, because of inflation, home values are going to skyrocket. I do believe that in the next 10 to 15 years, I think we're going to see like a five to six X inflation. 
How and how do you think people um, afford these properties? Like affordability. So this right? is Just... this is the biggest challenge. And I actually had a meeting with Gary Keller in August. Um, we've been having some conversations about a possible um, partnership in some ways. And um, one of the things Gary mentioned was that he believes that in a very short amount of time, people aren't going to be able to buy, aren't going to be able to purchase real estate. And that property management is going to be a great opportunity to create wealth, starting property management companies, and that the whole landscape is going to change. Builders can't build fast enough. If you look at um, our population charts and how many people are migrating to the United States, and then of course, families um, in the United States, um, we're going to run out of houses, which kind of seems crazy. Like, could that really happen? We're in a seller's market now. You don't think it's possible when you're in a buyer's market, but if it were to happen, imagine the value of a residential real estate, you know, residential real estate, it would skywalk rocket multifamily so, as well. And have you looked at getting into commercial to capitalize on dense, you know, dense, um, not yet. Uh, I think when commercial comes back down, we'll play in it a little bit more. We don't understand it. We haven't investigated it researched it. And depending on how you look at what the word commercial means, we are in multifamily and single family. Um, I've also looked at storage units, but we're not in storage yet. I have been in the past, but I've sold out and we're not in commercial right now. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, uh, residential single family are, are I mean, kind of similar. I mean, like cap rates are really low. People are buying them at really low cap rates. And then with single family homes, like the debt service ratio, yeah. that, those Here, are- here's what I don't like about commercial. I think that we're in a landscape with um, innovation and technology where all these brick and mortars we see, like the malls we used to go to no longer exist. And I think that there's a, there's going to be a shutdown of the brick and mortar footprint over the next 10 years that no one even anticipates or expects. So I think businesses are going to turn to like, you go to a, a place that sells shoes and it's a whole room full of shoes. Cause you expect to leave that day with a shoe. I don't think anyone expects that. I want to go into a place and try the shoes on. And then right there on a kiosk, type in all of these customizations with my initials on the shoe and the colors and hit a button. And then when I get home, the shoe's been flown to my house by a drone and it's waiting for me at my house. That is what we will see. So the brick and mortar no longer needs to be 10,000 square feet. It'll be 300 square feet. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. You're already seeing it. So sure. It'll be interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um, okay, cool. So quick recap, if you're going to start out with money, go and get hard money, go and check out private money, build up your cash asset guidance line, leverage bandit signs, check out REI vaults, um, for direct mail. They also have the inside sales service. Um, check out, um, door hangers, uh, hangers. we do radio sign call. um, And your avatar is largely based off price point, Um, based on the price points we know we want to be in. And, that, and those price points, I mean, I'm sure you're going to that price point because you know you're probably going to get a certain rent. So it'll meet your like mm-hmm. strategy. Your yep. strategy. If we go to above 175, no one's renting over 2000 a month. So we need cool. to be under that 175 mark. That's it, man. Cool. Yeah. And we'd love to invite anyone out to check that out. Again, it's just ersinvestorworkshop.com. We'd love to have you come out sometime, Chris. Our next one's in October and we don't have any other dates set. Uh, the day before I host my team building workshop for those aspiring team leaders out there or people running teams that want to learn a little bit more about our success in that world. Um, that's jeffsworkshop.com. And if you go to that and the investment workshop, there's some discounts. So be sure to reach out to us to find out what those discount codes are. Cool. Jeff, thanks for being on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, always a pleasure. Take it easy, yeah. Chris.
Hey guys, thanks for watching CEO Secrets. Be sure to check us out on um, iTunes. We've got it on Apple. I think it's syndicated everywhere. And um, if you're watching uh, this on Facebook Live, I'm sorry if I didn't get to your question on the comment section. I, I haven't done a very good job watching the comments. Are there questions? Here. Go look at it. I'll um, answer. Yeah, yeah, let's see here. Uh, I want to um, let me uh, just for the sake of this um, recording for iTunes and all that. I'm going to go ahead and in the recording for those of you guys watching this on iTunes and on um, uh, YouTube or any of those places it's syndicated to. So again, thanks for watching, guys. Check out the uh, our book, The Million Dollar Real Estate Team, and um, you guys can uh, check out Brokerage Hacking Online, where we talk about hacking the growth curve in the real estate business. Until next time, see you guys later. Thanks, Chris. Want more CEO secrets? If so, you can get a closer look into building a top-notch real estate team when you join Brokerage Hacking Academy at brokeragehacking.com. Within the Brokerage Hacking Academy, you'll receive over 25 lessons, educational downloads to help kickstart your team, and all past recorded Q&A sessions.